Galatians chapter 2. Let's, let's, let's look at a, a text this morning. Galatians chapter 2, the letter to the Galatians chapter 2. Guess if you didn't bring a Bible or you're not familiar with the Bible, just grab your device and search for Galatians 2. You've just guessed Google figured out what, how you spell Galatians. Galatians 2, and if you put in the initials ESV, English Standard Version, you'll be reading from the same translation as I will be. You're going to want to see it for yourself. <clears throat> I'll do all the rest. You just need to follow along. Galatians chapter 2, beginning with verse 15, translator heading reads, justified by faith. And as you find your place, I just comment, I understand that you, uh, last week you studied the account of the crucifixion of Jesus in the gospel of Mark, and next week you'll be back in Mark uh, uh, considering the resurrection, and I arrive with a sermon in between those two sermons with a message about about what it is that we are to understand and how we are to respond to what, what, what your pastor Jeff proclaimed last week, taught so well last week, that, that those two events, the one you studied last week, the one you're going to study next week, these two events, the cross and the resurrection, is the, the center of all of history where the king of creation was enthroned on a Roman cross, sacrificing himself for his people, Here's the question we're going to answer this morning. How do I then share, how can I share in what happened there on Mount Calvary? Uh, let me just comment before we read this. Too often, too often, Christianity is sold as like a religion for good people who are, who are, who are getting better. Good people are getting better when in fact it's quite the opposite. That's what we're going to learn this morning. Christianity is in fact a religion of bad people Coping with their failure to be good. Bad people coping with their failure to be good. You, you see, we live in a world, and you feel it, flooded with guilt. You feel that? It's all around us. We experience it. Maybe, maybe it's when you're alone, you're bored, or after you've done whatever it is you keep doing, even though you know you shouldn't do it and promised yourself you wouldn't do it and the last time was going to be the last time, but you did it again anyways, and so you're fidgeting, right? That, I, that's how you deal with it. You, you're restless. You distract yourself. Uh, you lay in your bed like doom scrolling, just trying to forget it all. You binge watch. You binge eat. You eat your feelings. That's, I, I've been there. I know what it's like. The world is drowning in guilt. Because everybody knows, no matter how hard we try, all of us, nobody measures up. That's what this text is about. Guilt is what we experience when you know you're not measuring up to someone else's expectations. When you feel like you feel guilty, when you know that someone else disapproves of who you are or what you have done, which brings us to the matter at hand. Our subject this morning, connecting the dots between ourselves and our Savior and his cross, and the resurrection. How do bad people rid themselves of guilt? Or to say it another way, how can I be saved from myself, my sin? When, when I know I, myself, doesn't measure up no matter how hard I try. Listen, the church has been struggling with this for 2,000 years. This is what this letter is about. 
church has been struggling with this for 2,000 years. From day one, the passage we're going to read is actually the Apostle Paul contending for the truth of the gospel. Troublemakers, that's what you're going to catch up here. Troublemakers, that's what he calls them there, have drafted in behind him. This is just 10, 20 years after what you were studying in the gospel of Mark uh, is accounting for and recording. These troublemakers have started to teach some of the very first Christians about what they must do if they are ever going to find themselves acceptable to God to be forgiven of their sins and counted amongst people and been rid and get rid of their guilt. And you're going to notice one last comment. There's a racial divide going on in our text. The Jews and the Gentiles. The the Gentiles, they're, they're like the new Christians. And the Jews, they're demanding that the Gentiles, the new Christians, behave like they claim to behave. They're saying you must You must, to be a Christian, you must act a certain way. Do certain things. You must be, in in the context here, you must be Jewish if you want to be Christian. So with that, look with me, Galatians chapter 2, beginning with verse 15. I'll read through 21 and then pray. Follow along, verse 15, Paul writes. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Verse 17. But if in our our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Verse 18, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The very words of God. Would you pray brief with me for understanding? Father, Father, you know the condition of all of our hearts, everyone in this room, our souls. You know what we're carrying into this room, grief and brokenness bitterness, weariness, indifference, can care less, and also hungry. So Father, I pray you would feed us all this morning. Your word is like like bread. Feed us, nourish us, change us, transform us. Fill me with your spirit that, that, that I might preach your words, and as your words are sounded out, the deepest things about us would change. For your glory, for our good, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. So the question is, how free, this is the question they've been wrestling with Galatians, and you got to ask this after you saw the, the crucifixion. How free is free when it comes to the free gift of salvation by grace through faith? How free is free? I recently discovered, this is, the, this is what's going on here, uh, recently I discovered yet another attempt 
Another attempt at doing exactly what we are reading about here, the troublemakers were doing in Galatia, the, the Judaizers, Paul calls them, trying to make them Jewish, what they were attempting to do, only now it was, it's 2,000 some years later, it's really nothing novel, it's just another take on the old age debate, the age old debate about how free is free when it comes to the free gift of salvation by grace through faith. 500 years ago, the Protestant reformers, the, the, the church reformers coined a rubric, we are saved by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed by scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. It was the five solas, if you've never heard them before, but to Today, recently, it's been proposed, catch how relevant this is, that instead of the term faith, as in faith alone, we should instead substitute, insert the word allegiance. Allegiance. As in we are, as if we are saved by grace alone through allegiance to Christ alone. One leading advocate, right? writes of another leading advocate's uh, work, a book on the subject. Notice the echo chamber going on there, right? One is writing about the other one. He writes, we are saved by faith when we trust in Jesus, that Jesus died for our sins. He writes, this is the gospel, or so we've been taught. That's what he writes. But what is faith? What is faith? And does this accurately summarize the gospel because if faith is frequently misunderstood or, or, or misunderstood or the climax of the gospel is misidentified, the gospel's full power remains untapped. And this is what he writes. My, he writes, my friend's book offers a fresh proposal for what faith means, pressing the church towards a new precision. And here it is. We are saved by allegiance to Jesus the King. We're saved by allegiance to Jesus, the King, alone. Instead of faith alone, Christians must speak of salvation by allegiance alone. You see, the, the debate's still going on. What's going on here is going on here is going on in here. The debate still rages on, and, and I think it will until the Lord returns. It, for it is very, very unnatural to believe that we are saved by grace alone. Somehow, somehow, there must be something we contribute to the equation, right? Only a few decades ago, this, there was a, another new perspective that gained traction. It's still influencing the church today everywhere that we are justified, saved by loyalty alone. Loyalty, and you can see it's allegiance and loyalty. They're just coming up with new words to say the same thing. The, the emphasis always landing on something we contribute. An emphasis on us. What we do, not what God does. It isn't a gift of grace and mercy if we earn it and deserve it. Grace alone, by faith alone. Listen, everything for nothing. Now that's, that's what Paul's going to argue here. That's as you consider the cross. Everything for nothing for those who don't deserve anything. The Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter here in Galatians and the troublemakers were all embroiled in the most important controversy. That's the context. And the question that sparked it all is, what must we do to be saved? What must we do to be saved? Who, who has done enough? How, how, what is enough? Who has done enough to say, God accepts me, welcomes me, I am his, and he is mine? And here in these two paragraphs, Paul explains what the truth of the gospel is. That Jesus did everything we need to do 
Jesus did everything we need to do. Jesus did everything required. You cannot add a few more steps. You can't be allegiant enough. You can't be loyal enough. You cannot cherry pick or some of the good parts, get a merit badge somewhere else, no honorary degrees. Nothing was left unfinished. Jesus accomplished it all. That's the truth of the gospel. And for the one who sees and believes and receives and trusts, who has faith, it's all ours by grace alone. You get everything for nothing, even though you don't deserve anything. Two paragraphs. Two paragraphs both about enjoying the blessings we receive through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ exclusively. The, 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 the economy here, the money exchanged, faith. Let me show you. Look again, verse 15. What does it mean to be justified by faith? What, what is the faith that Paul is talking about that he requires? That I have only one point this morning. Jesus has done everything that we need to do to be a Christian, and all he requires, here's the point, is faith. All he requires is faith, and we're going to get to what faith is. But you get everything for nothing by faith alone. Verse 15, look with me again. Paul writes, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Paul's continuing his appeal. It's from earlier in the chapter that, uh, to, to, about Peter, <laughs> the apostle Peter's surprise, and the troublemakers. They're all Jews grappling with how their Jewish customs and practices and, and culture and the laws that they've been taught and the regulations that they have memorized that God has commanded them to follow, how, they now, how all of that now applies now that Jesus, the long-promised Messiah, the Christ, has come, what must we do to be saved now in light of, of the, uh, the advent of the Savior, the Christ? Which, which parts of God's law must we obey if he is going to accept us? What must we do to please God, and what, what about the others? <laughs> that always comes into play, right? What about me? And even more importantly, what about them, <laughs> right? They're asking the question, have the Gentiles done enough? Have, have they done enough to please God, to, to join them in being Christians? Verse 16, Paul writes, Yet we know that a person, a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Yet we know, right, verse 16, we all agree, this isn't even a new concept for them. This has been the way it has always been, that a person is not justified by the works of the law. The, that, that word justified, speaking of something God does, God does in a moment, it's instantaneous and irreversible. He declares a sinner clean, innocent, acceptable, counted righteous, perfect, not guilty. Not guilty. A person is not declared not guilty by obeying the law, Paul is saying. We all know this, middle of verse 16, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified, not guilty. By faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. The law, they said, Paul's saying, the law, we all know this. The law says do this, but the gospel says Christ did this. 
Christ did this. This law that he's speaking of, think of, think of the rules and the regulations that are found in like two-thirds of your Bible in the Old, Old Testament, your Old Testament. Think the Ten Commandments times like a million, right? Uh, there's not just ten, but there's ten. This, this law Paul is referencing demands works of human achievement, obedience, allegiance, loyalty, works of human achie- achievement, and this is why, it, that why what they're, they're believing now as Jews so, feels so radical. They require the, the, this gospel that they're proclaiming that you celebrate and believe requires not human achievement, but faith in Christ's achievement. And notice, if you, if you haven't noticed, the connection between the sinner, sinner and, the, and the Savior is trust. It's trust, not obedience or improvement of your behavior or character as if we could, as if we could do enough or be enough. If you skip down to verse 21, really there, that last sentence there in our text, a summary of everything Paul is saying. Really, if you hear anything, just hear this verse right here, verse 21. Paul, Paul says, we all know this. So what we believe, Christ has done everything we needed to do. Verse 21, I do not nullify the, the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Ah, it's a big statement. I, I, I don't nullify, cancel out the grace of God. For if righteousness, if I could be made perfect and justified, declared righteous, and, ma- and be rid of my guilt, and the consequences of my sin, if they were through obedience and human achievement, then Christ died for nothing. You see, here's, here Paul's getting at the truth of the gospel, the very core of everything we believe as followers, disciples of Christ. And it's so unnatural. It's so unusual. Listen, it's so unusual. The universe appears to work, right? If you're just working like the law of karma, right? You get what you deserve. But the truth of the gospel, the doctrine of most importance is that for those whom God accepts and justifies, the only one who get, the only one of us who will get what they deserve is Jesus. So unusual. Everything else says you get what you deserve. And the gospel says Jesus got what you deserve. He bore our sins on his cross. The gospel in its, its plainest dress, if you're wondering what this gospel is, this good news is, it, in its plainest fashion, out, right out of the Bible, is behold the Lamb of God, a sacrifice. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How did he do it? How, how did he do everything you needed to do? By living dying and rising again on your behalf for your salvation. If I were to summarize it in five words, it's Christ died for our sins. If I got it in four, it'd be Christ died for us. If I were to do it in three, I was, as an exercise for myself, I was thinking, if I do it in three, it'd be, it is finished. What about in two? He lives. In one, the Bible says, Love. He acted on our behalf for our good. He was crushed 
Don't listen to what anyone else says. He was crushed not as an example, not as a martyr, not for a cause, not, not even just as a mere expression like a love note from God. He was a substitution. He stood in our place condemned. He who had no sin became sin, our sin, your sin. He was innocent. It should have been me. It should have been you. We were condemned. Listen, we were condemned. This is what justification is talking about. We were awaiting trial. We were doomed. And he stepped in and offered himself as a big theological term, penal substitutionary atonement for our sin. He appeased the righteous, good anger of God squared rightly on you and me on account of my treason against him, the Father. This is the difference. Listen, this is the difference between what the troublemakers back then and the troublemakers today as well say, and the gospel. The troublemakers say that you must obey the obey to be saved, you to be justified. Obedience is the prerequisite. This is what they say, and what we, the difference between what we believe. The gospel says that Jesus obeyed. Jesus obeyed. Jesus fulfilled the law's requirements, satisfied all of the law's demands. Jesus did what you did not do, what I did not do, but, but can be ours by, and here's the word, faith. Not works. You want, you want it? Paul says it's faith. Not loyalty. Not allegiance. <laughs> faith. 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 I told you guys. One of my favorite preachers, H.B. Charles, this is the way he says it. This is, this is the effect of someone who receives everything we want and hope for in, we'll say, Christianity. Everything it stands for, I want it. This is what he says. This is, this is the effect of someone who gets it. Right? He says, I do not, this is H.B. Charles, if you know who he is. I don't have to live looking over my shoulder anymore. I don't have to live with fear and guilt, and shame. I don't have to worry that God is hunting me down to punish me. I have been crucified with Christ. Been crucified by Christ. By faith. That's the purpose on which Christ died for you. And and if you then attempt, he died in your place, he obeyed for you, and... He, he wants to give you his obedience. He wants to credit to you his obedience, his performance, his achievement. And if you somehow want to commingle that, <laughs> that, that, if you want to commingle the gospel with the law, Paul says, then you cancel out the grace of God. And Jesus died for nothing. Again, verse 21. It's just a great summary. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness or perfection were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let me ask, again, we talk about faith. We're going to talk about justification. What is justification? Justification is a theological term. 
that refers to something God does. Like I said, he justifies us. It's instantaneous. It's unchanging. On the basis of the death and righteousness of Christ alone, we are counted instantaneously. (laughs) There is no grading here. Instantaneously, it's red light, green light, as righteous. And God is then 100% for us from then on. That's justification. And the connection between him and all of that and us We are connected to this new experience of acceptance by God, God, justification, no guilt, no condemnation, by being one with his son, Jesus, through faith alone. United by faith and not your allegiance. (laughs) And it happens in an instant. Paul writes in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live. It's not me anymore and what I do, but Christ who lives in me. Justification by faith, not works. A receiving of what Christ has achieved. A receiving rather than a doing. And if you think about Christianity and you think about it and things that you do, you're missing the point. It's not about what you do. It's not about you. It's not about what you do. It's about what you are receiving. A peculiar gift of God, that's, that's one writer says, it's a peculiar gift of God that, that he awakens your sinful, sleeping soul and grants you eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that is made, made soft. And in an instant, if you've experienced that, in an instant, you're not then put on a self-improvement program. In an instant, you're united to everything, everything Jesus has accomplished. All of his merit, yours. Even his inheritance, now yours. In an instant, we are detached from the tyranny of the law that, that demands every morning, you wake up every morning, I, I, gotta, I gotta be better. And it plagues you. It, it, it detaches you from all of that which is all of our story, even if you didn't realize it was going on, even if it's going on right now, and you're a Christian, you're not living by faith either. <laughs> Listen, we're detached from this tyranny of always needing to be better and reattached to the one who did it, won it, achieved it, satisfied all of it, the entire checklist, done. Name, you know him is Jesus, the perfect one. (laughs) And and back to this word faith, justified by faith. To be clear, it's not your faith that justifies you. It's not your faith that, it's not our faith that saves us, or even itself is the mechanism in which we are united to Christ. It's the object of our faith that does it all. Can can you see already that this is the antidote This is the solution, the medicine for everyone who struggles with some sort of dull heartache. It might be really loud for you, but a dull for me, a heartache of knowing that I never, ever, ever have measured up, that I can't seem to get off a treadmill of rules and insecurities, and instead, instead, this is the antidote, to to just receive like a gift and not a wage, a paycheck, the gospel, the message of Christianity. It is, it's like karma's worst nightmare. 
we get the opposite. That's, that, that's what we proclaim every week. You sing this here. Every week you sing a song and you sing all your songs and you hear it all service long and you do it in your lives all week long. You proclaim it that I do not get what I deserve. I'm not getting what I deserve. I haven't received what I deserved. I will never get what I deserved. Middle verse 20, if you look with me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What kind of a sentence is that? And what, what is this faith that he's speaking of? Let, let me read for you a passage from a book about the subject of what faith is. Now, here we're going to define faith. Listen carefully, because that's what our application, that's how we respond to what we see on Calvary. One author writes, saving faith receives Christ as valuable. This is what What happens when someone is given the gift of faith? You experience this. You see Christ, Jesus, as valuable, precious, as satisfying, a treasure. You might guess who the author is. I'll tell you in a second. A treasure. Thus, he he writes, saving faith is a treasuring receiving, a treasuring believing I can have this treasure, a a treasuring trust. It's more than just trust. It's a treasuring trust, a treasuring faith. He writes, it is a peculiarly receiving grace. It's a grace in your life. A receiving act of the soul. That's what faith is. When you, when you think, okay, I've seen him on Calvary. I believe, what is it that I now do? I, I receive him. It's an act of my soul, he writes. It is not a giving grace. It's not a giving grace, but a receiving one. It, it offers nothing. It's something you do that does nothing, right? It offers nothing. It wants everything. That's what faith is. Faith is an impulse within your soul that says, I want. It offers nothing. It wants everything. It no more gives to Christ than thirsty lips give to the cup of living water, drinking with satisfaction is not giving, it is receiving. Treasuring is a peculiarly receiving grace. See, see, that's why allegiance doesn't work. Obedience doesn't work. Though it's an implication of what happens to the person who receives. But allegiance, that's like smuggling a little, in a little task list for yourself says, look at me. How, how silly. Look at me, God. See my fidelity. I pledge my allegiance to you. Believe in me as I believe in you. Faith. Faith is a gift unto itself. Even the act of receiving Christ is an acknowledgement that Apart from his work, I would continue to reject him. Same book, same author. If you haven't guessed it yet, it's John Piper, one of my favorite authors, contemporary authors. He continues. This is what he says. Then I use other words to describe saving faith. This is so helpful. I use words and phrases like delighting in, being satisfied with, enjoying and loving, all having Christ as their object. As I use these terms, all of them are receiving graces, not giving graces. They are not performances. They are the reflexes of emptiness looking away to Christ. That's the sentence I've been looking for. Faith, faith is the reflex 
of emptiness, looking away to Christ. That's it. That's faith. A soul that says, I must have him. Him, all that he is, because I know that without him I have nothing. I have nothing. I can earn nothing and can be nothing. And in the end, we'll be all alone. Poor. This is what faith is saying. My soul, a reflex that says, I am poor, full of regrets and remorse, with guilt that plagues my soul moment by moment. Faith says, I give up. I'm out of options. I've tried everything else. Faith says, my identity is invested no longer in how well I do things. My identity is no longer invested in how well I do things, how well I perform as a human being. I offer nothing. I want everything. I die to the, I, I die to the demands of the law, and I take Jesus as my treasure. That's what makes a Christian a Christian. That's what makes Christian a Christian a Christian. In a word, faith. What does a Christian do? Receives. Just bad people coping with their failure to be good by taking up God's offer of his only son. We can be saved by faith alone, by, by grace alone, justified by faith and not by works. So let me ask the question, what, what have you been believing? <laughs> Maybe even act of God's gracious miracle. I have been believing, and you truly have been believing, and have been converted and been made new again. But, but in your mind, the dialogue day to day, the feed, the feed is an evaluation of your performance and a trust in who you are and your identity. Paul has been teaching us something entirely different. Actually, quite incompatible, that's his point, in spite of how closely those two feel together. And I'm sure if you're a Christian, you've been around the church long enough, you're probably saying, yeah, but what about obedience? We're called to obey God. Yes. See how close they are. One creates the other. What a fool's errand it would be to think. To think that we could achieve a right standing with God. We lost his favor before we were born. You're a natural born enemy of God. And Paul, Paul's been teaching and your church has been proclaiming, and I pray many of us are believing that the answer to what it means to be a Christian, to become a Christian, to be saved and redeemed and reconciled and inherit eternal life, what must we do? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. One old Luther scholar, and if you don't know about Old Town Orange, that's where our church is. It's a German town. And uh, it's surprisingly, just like Anaheim's a made-up German name, 
if you didn't, word if you didn't know that. But uh, we love the we love the good old German scholars up up in Old Town Orange. One one Lutheran scholar who died just 20 years ago. He wrote this, and here's here's where I'm gonna end. He wrote, "We are justified freely. We're made right with God. We're rid of our guilt, reconciled to God. We get everything, though we deserve nothing." We are justified freely for Christ's sake, he writes, for his glory, by faith, without the exertion of our own strength. He writes, without the gaining of merit or without the doing of works. To the age-old question, he writes, what shall I do to be saved? The confessional answer, the right answer has been taught by the church throughout the ages. The confessional answer, he writes, is shocking. Nothing. Nothing. And this is the... This is so refreshing. This is where I leave you. He writes, just be still. Shut up. (laughs) It's in his book. Shut up and listen for once in your life to what God the Almighty Creator and Redeemer is saying to his world and to you in the death and resurrection of his son. Just shut up and believe. Behold the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. All he requires is that you believe. All that he requires is that you receive. Ask about repentance. Believing and receiving is the opposite of everything that you've been doing. Taste and see that the king of creation became sin who knew no sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. May God Grant us all new, greater measures of faith. First, first moments of faith, open eyes, and for the oldest saint in the room, a new delighting and treasuring in Christ, who is our everything. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your words that cut through the night and in our darkness and teach our hearts, train us, and even awaken us from our slumbering sleep. Father, I pray for the one in the room who is believing for the first time. Would you grant them faith that they might receive Christ and repent of their ways, that they might, they might treasure you and give up trying to somehow earn from you acceptance. Everyone walk out of this room today lighter, because they're not plagued as much by guilt and condemnation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.